name is Patricia. I am the creative arts pastor here at Radiant Life. I'm not normally the person that's up here speaking, but you get to listen to me this morning, and I hope it's an I get to and not oh, we have to. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think God has, has shared a few things with me um, that are really important as children of God to know and remember and walk with. So uh, I get to speak in our next uh, teaching on Savage Jesus. And within this teaching, we've kind of looked at different ways that Jesus responded to things, the way he said things or did things. He did them in a different way than people expected. And we might call that savage. Not like savage in the negative way, but just in the way that it was different. He wasn't the king that everyone anticipated him to be. They thought there there was going to be this warrior, you know, that would come in and would strike down the enemy and make wrong things right in the dark light, and he did. He just didn't do it in the way that people expected him to do it. And so this morning we're going to look at another story in the book of Mark, which is where we've been within this series, and um, look at another, another area and another place where we can learn something different from Jesus. But in order to get there, I have to share another story first. So I have, I have two places in scripture we're going to be at this morning, and I have to share one before I share the other, because we have a problem that we're faced with when we get to the book of Mark. And in order to, to solve that problem, we have to go back to where the root of that problem started. Following? You know, it's like when you go weed a garden. I grew up on a farm, and we had to go and we had to weed the garden, right? Because you don't want bad crops growing where your good crops are supposed to grow. And I remember one year... The mustard plants, for some reason, were just out of control, and they were killing our corn. And so my brothers and sisters and I would go out every day, and we'd have to weed the mustard, and it was prickly, and it was not fun. But my dad said, make sure you get to the root of it. You have to pull the root, because if you're just pulling the top, it's just going to grow back. And we found out that to be true. So we were out there weeding the mustard a whole lot longer than what we wanted to be. But you have to get to the root of the problem. So in order to do that this morning, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to where it all started. And in order to do that, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was full of void. It was empty. And darkness covered the face of the deep. Can you imagine... Just imagine what that must have been like. Darkness blanketed the face of the deep. And then four words changed that. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And there was morning and there was evening on the first day. Let there be light. Words that spoke into nothing and made something out of it. And then God didn't stop there. He didn't just make light. He said, let there be fish and let there be birds and let there be creatures that crawl upon the earth. Let there be land. Let there be sky. Let there be man. And from the dust, God breathed life and made Adam. And the only time in all of the creation, God over and over again said it was good, it was good, it was good. The only time God said it wasn't good was when Adam was alone. So then God made Eve. And God said that it was good. 
And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. I've made this for you. And so within this story, there are four words that we can really glean from it. The first is creation. And you're like, well, duh, it's the creation account. But think about it. He took something and he made something out of nothing. Like, that's incredible to me. And then within that approval, over and over again, let there be and it was good. Let there be and it was good. Over and over again, God said it was good. And then when I read it, I read a little bit of confidence, you know. It wasn't like he said, okay, maybe let's make some light. Or, okay, now maybe, you know, Adam's kind of lonely, so maybe we should make a woman. I don't know. No, he said, let there be. And there was. And he said it was good. He didn't waver in that. It was good. And then you can't help but, but hear a story like this and read about it and not get lost in the wonder of it all. I mean, it was dark. And four words changed all of that. Let there be light. Let there be light. And God said to Adam and Eve, I've made all of this for you. Everything. Be fruitful. Multiply. All of it's for you except for this one tree. Do not eat from that tree. It's not good for you. And it would be nice if that's where the story ended. But if you're familiar with this account, you know it's not where it ended. Because all of a sudden, the serpent slithers along and says four different words to Adam and Eve. And his four words were, did God really say? And all of a sudden, this, this garden, this space and this place that was supposed to be holy and good, all of a sudden there's question and there's doubt. And it's the first time we question who God is. And it's the first time we question who we are in him. Did God really say? Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe I heard him wrong. Maybe what he said to us wasn't the full truth. Did God really say? And all of a sudden, instead of creation, there's destruction. All that God created to be good, suddenly the enemy sneaks in and is just like, yeah, but did God really say? And instead of approval, there's rejection. Because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, which is what they ended up doing, when they ate of it, Scripture says their eyes were opened, they saw that they were naked, and they were ashamed, and they hid. You know, prior to that, Scripture says that they walked in the cool of the day with the Father. That literally translates to the winds of the day. So they weren't just hearing him, they were feeling him. If I could go back to any place in scripture, that's where I would want to go. To walk in the cool of the day with the Father. Before the questions, before the doubts, and just be. And that's what Adam and Eve had. But when they ate the fruit, instead of walking with him in the cool of the day, suddenly they're hiding from him. And God's having to ask them, where are you? He knows where they are. But they're all of a sudden having these feelings of, well, we know know we've done something wrong. And all of a sudden they're like, there's no way that God can love us still. So instead of approval, there's rejection. Instead of confidence, there's doubt, which is a pretty big given where the doubt came from. And instead of wonder, we get lost in our weakness and we forget to see all the good that God had in store for us. So there's this, this constant back and forth, the, the let there be life that God created in the beginning, and then all of a sudden this did God really say life. And too often 
we live into this ladder. We live into that lifestyle of, well, I, I'm not strong enough. I doubt too much. I don't have what it takes. I'm bad. And it's all about us. And, and I said I was going to share two stories with you this morning, and this is the first. And this is the main point I want you to get from this story. And it's this. The moment we begin to doubt God is the moment when we live into who we say we are and not who God says we are. I'm going to read that again. The moment we begin to doubt God is when we live into who we say we are and not who God says we are. So if you're living in that lifestyle of did God really say and you're doubting God, you need to go spend time with God. You need to go and just be before him. Because if there's any doubt in your mind that God is not who he says he is, you're living into who you say you are and who you think he is, not who he says he is. Was that like super confusing to you? <laughs> Does that make sense though? So if you are doubting, if you're living into that latter lifestyle, go and be with Jesus right now. We need to do more of that when we get in those moments of doubt or those moments of living into ourselves. So that's the first story. And because we have the first story, we have the second story. Because God looked at all that he created and saw that there was a problem. And it was, it was God saying, okay, now how do I fix this? How do I get them to know that they are a child of God? How do I get them to love me? How do I get them to walk with me and see that I just want to be with them? How do I get them to see that, no, it doesn't matter what they do, that I just want to be with them? How do I show them and teach them that they are still my child, that they are still my children? Well, I'll send them a child. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was born. Jesus was born and he came to the earth to fix what was broken in the garden. To fix what was broken at the beginning. And Jesus was given a purpose. And that purpose to re was to redeem us from the broken, from the sin, from all of that. That's why Jesus came. And God said, Jesus, you're going to go let them know. You're going to go say to them, let there be, let there be, let there be. And this is how we get to our next story. You see, at the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. And in the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, we get to follow some of his ministry. And the story that we're going to be looking at today is in Mark chapter 6. And I've titled this part, Jesus Goes Home. Because Jesus goes home. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And uh, before we jump into the story, I'm like a, a writer geek. I like to know why writers write the way that they write. And you'll find that each of the gospel writers write with a specific theme. And if you read the book of Mark uh, as a whole, you see that there's this constant theme of this question, who do you say Jesus is? So keep that in mind as we jump into Mark chapter 6. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, which was Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were what? They were amazed. Say it like you're amazed. They were amazed. Okay, let's try that again. Those who heard him were uh... Awesome. That's just an important part here. The many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. 
What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? They're amazed at what he's saying. They're amazed at what he's doing. But watch how the story changes. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took what? They took offense at him. They went from being amazed to offended. That's a pretty big shift. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Mark Hoffman is a, a theologian and he said, did they wonder if Jesus was crazy smart and then just decide he was just crazy? Because you read it and you're just like, they were amazed and then all of a sudden they were offended. And what I find the most intriguing about this passage is this. They weren't offended about what Jesus said or what he did. They were offended because of who he was. Aren't you just the carpenter's son? Aren't you just the guy who built that family a table yesterday? Aren't you just Mary's son? You know, within, you know, we put this back into cultural context, to refer to his mother in the way that they did was to cause offense. And they were being offensive here. Isn't this just Mary's son? If you're familiar with Jesus' story, it's like, well, isn't he, you know, isn't his mother the one who claimed to, uh, you know, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Isn't this, isn't this him? Isn't this so-and-so's brother? Aren't his sisters here with us? He's just one of us. Who is he to say that he's the son of God? And because of their lack of faith, it hindered what Jesus could do there. It's a really sad story when you think about it. You know, because when you grow up in a place, when it's your hometown, say for instance Sturgis for most of you, you know, when you grow up in a place, you get to know the people, you know their history, you know the roads to drive down, you know the ones to avoid because of potholes, you know the best taco joints in town, you know who's following the right football team and who's not. Like you just know that, and you know the place that you grow up and you know those details, you know those things, so they knew Jesus. He'd lived most of his life in Nazareth. They knew him. But they knew him as the carpenter's son and Mary's son and so-and-so's brother and so-and-so's sister. And that's all they saw him as. They couldn't see him as anything else beyond that because of their lack of faith. And it hindered what God could do. So that's story number two. And from this story, I think there are three questions we have to ask ourselves. The first is this. How is your faith? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? And do you believe that you are who God says you are? Do you? I would, it would be so sad. It would be so sad if we hindered what God could do because of our lack of faith. I believe, Lord, help our unbelief. How is your faith this morning? Are you wrestling with it? Good, wrestle with it. Are you saying your faith is great this morning? Good. Wrestle with it. How is your faith this morning? And the second question is this. Who are you trapping in their Nazareth? And, and let me flesh this out a little bit. You see, Jesus 
was the carpenter's son. He was Mary's son. He was so-and-so's brother and -and so-and-so's sister. But that's all that they saw him as. Because that's all that they saw him as. It hindered what God could do. Who in our lives do we put in these boxes because that's who we think they are? You know, we think we figured people out. And these people thought they figured Jesus out. And And it separated what God could do. You know, we profile people. I love, I love, love, love mystery shows. I love trying to figure out who done it. Like, I, I am the type of person where I, I will profile, be like, okay, their eyes were a little shady there. They looked a little shifty. I think they had something to do with it. Or, you know, that was a little uncharacteristic of their character. So I think they did it. And I love it when I figured it out because I'm like, yes, I nailed it. And I love it even more when I can't figure it out because the writers did such a good job. But we profile people, and because we profile people, it hinders our relationships. And often, it hinders what God can do with each of us. Not just as a singular, but as a body. So just ask yourself, who maybe in my life do I kind of hold off at a distance because I think I know who they are? Or because I don't want to get to know who they are because their past is different than mine, and it's scary. Maybe for you, you need to just go and talk with them again. Or maybe start that conversation. And the third question is this, or are you trapping yourself? You know, we're really good at that because we know our own minds and our souls and our hearts more than anybody. We know where we've been. We know where we come from. We know the dirt, right? And because we know that, often we don't think God can use us. We don't think we're good enough. We don't see how God could ever want us to walk with him again, right? And so then we get lost in this right? We kind of cover this up and we get so focused on this that we can't see all that is that God has for us. We live too much into the did God really say life and not enough into the let there be life. Does that make sense? We do that and we ask all the time, did God really say? You know, I, I, um, I wrestled with it this week because I'm supposed to get up here And I'm supposed to talk to you about identity. And I'm supposed to tell you that we are who God says we are. And like, I did a really bad job at believing that in my life this week. You know, I sat here on Friday and I asked this question. God, did you really say, like, am I really supposed to get up there and say this? Am I really the person to do this? Am I really supposed to be working here? You know, and you do that in your life, wherever you are, where you just start to doubt what God has called you to. Even though you know that's what he's called you to. We doubt it. And I had a moment where I'm sitting here and I'm so lost and absorbed in myself that I I can't see what it is that God wants. But I'm like, God, I just need you to show up and like just just say let there be to me, you know. And, And as I was sitting here and being all about myself, I suddenly, like the room changed. And I sensed the spirit in a different way. And I had somebody after second service ask me, how do you know? How do you sense that? And I said, you know, you know, when somebody walks in the room and they're like a negative Nancy and the room changes, right? Or if somebody that's like so joyful, they walk into the room, it completely changes the atmosphere. That's the best way I can explain when you know the spirit has showed up. Because I just completely sensed his spirit. And if you hear anything this morning, this is what you need to hear. This is what you need to hear. We ask ourselves all the time, did God really say? Jesus came to say, yes, he did. That's why Jesus came. 
to fix what happened in the garden. That was the first time, that was the root of the problem. It was the first time we questioned who God was and who we were in him and who we are in him. Did God really say? Yes, he did. That's what Jesus came to tell us. Yes, he did. God is who he says he is. He is, and you can be forgiven. Can, can I be from, forgiven from this mistake that I made? Yes, you can. Did, did God really say that I can be free from this? Yes, he did. Did God really say that I can be made new? Yes, he did. Did God really say that this can be restored? Yes, he did. Did God really say that the darkness can be made light and the wrong can be made right? Yes, he did. Too often... When we ask, did God really say, we answer it with our own selves. But we have to believe that God is who he says he is. And we are who he says we are in him. Not in ourselves, not in what other people say, but in him. And he didn't just come to say, yes, he did. He came to bring us home. To bring us back to that place where we can walk in the cool of the day with the Father and know that we are his child. That's why Jesus came. And for some people, they couldn't understand it, and that was savage. Because, like, wasn't he just supposed to be this warrior, you know? Yeah. But he's also a father who still loves his children, no matter what. So some of us this morning just need to wrestle with our doubt. And when you're wrestling with your doubt, go to him. Don't go to other people. Go to him. If you can't do it on your own, get people to pray for you but you need to seek him first in all things. And some of us this morning need to just say over and over again, did God really say yes, he did? Did God really say yes, he did? And some of us just need to go home. We just need to go sit before the Father and be with him and know that that is a safe and sacred place to be because that's what he's called us to. And then, and then go out there and live what he's called us to do. Because Jesus didn't just stay in Nazareth, right? He knew what God had called him to do. And had he lived into what everybody boxed him in as, he wouldn't have done and fulfilled his purpose. So step out of your boxes into what God has called you to do. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing who you say I am again. Because we need to declare who we are in him over and over and over again until we believe it. I pray for you. God, I just, I thank you that... You are a God who never stops looking for his children. That you are a God who would send someone like Jesus to take our place in the midst of all that is wrong in our lives. We thank you for forgiveness and redemption and restoration. Would you continue to teach us what it is to walk in your will and your way and with you? And would you give us the confidence and the wonder and the wisdom and the approval and the creation that you have made us new, would you give us all of that so that we can walk in your will and your way, not our own? Father, you do not leave or forsake us. We are your children. Help us to remember.